Blue Wire Hustle proudly presents another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. Tonight's episode, a new look Browns defense with very special guest Andy Hansen, NFL player personnel analyst and COO of the 33rd team. Uh, he will tell you about the 33rd team. It is an awesome website and very cool what they're doing over there analytics, uh, a GM's perspective of things, um, and the interview is killer. Uh, so a lot to talk about tonight as we do go through the defense, but we will also discuss uh, the NFLPA and everything going on as J.C. Treader's role um, as the NFLPA PA president is uh, starting to have an effect on the Browns a little bit as um, we move from phase two to phase three uh, next week where the Browns are going to be on the field and he is still saying that him and his teammates will not show up even though the Browns have been very cooperative and ready to be virtual all through phase one and phase two while other teams have agreed upon deals and are showing up 70 and 80 deep in their facilities it is somewhat discouraging to see this uh, from J.C. Treader still. And we'll get into that after uh, the interview. We talk about it a little bit in the interview, but after the interview, certainly. But let's, uh, without further ado, let's get you to the interview with Andy Hansen. It's a terrific interview. He's outstanding. He is from the 33rd team. He is the COO, NFL player personnel analyst. Uh, and uh, break everything down. I think you're really going to like this one tonight. Here on All Eyes on Cleveland, Mikey's on the one and twos. My name is Brad Ward, and uh, this is All Eyes on Cleveland. So let's let's get to it. Here we go. We are thrilled to welcome to All Eyes on Cleveland tonight a very special guest. His name is Andy Hansen. He is the NFL player personnel analyst and COO of the 33rd team. Welcome to the show, Andy. How are you? I'm doing great. Excited to be here, Brad. How are you doing? I'm doing excellent. Uh, very, very thrilled to have you on the show. Uh, excited to learn a little bit about the 33rd team. Uh, can you uh, uh, tell us uh, what you guys do over there? I know it's a kind of a front office approach, I believe. Um, yeah. And you can kind of maybe tell me a little bit about the website and everything. Yeah, so uh, I met Mike Tannenbaum when I was graduating with my master's degree from the University of Massachusetts. And we decided to start this program as uh, a two-pronged thing where uh, coaches and front office personnel who are either in between jobs or still currently active and wanting to get better and deeper understanding of analytics and coaching and build their network, we built this hub for them as a landing spot. And from the other side, we built an internship program uh, to help people who are interested in getting their foot in the door and growing their analytics side. So we have a lot of master's students who are uh, diving deep into analytics and learning from the front office execs about what analytics are being used uh, and the best ways to apply them in game, in season, and you know, in the hiring process. So that's what we've been doing. We also, uh, we have a website, the33rdteam.com. We have a newsletter that comes out three times a week. We send it to every front office in the NFL. Uh, we're trying to build football content for football experts. So if you're a That's real awesome. football nerd and you're interested in learning about what you know GMs are reading, 
like feel free to come to our website and we'll provide that for you. We uh, we scout the top 200 guys in every draft. So, you know, fire away on any questions. Yeah, for sure. I mean, uh, I went on the website. Very interesting stuff. Awesome uh, content on their uh, breakdowns. Uh, you know, as you said, the analytics view of everything and looking at it kind of from what GMs are reading. I mean, that's an awesome perspective. The whole concept of the 33rd team is very, very interesting. Um, I, you know, and uh, certainly something that as Browns fans, as we know, you know, with Paul D. Podesta and our analytics team of Andrew Barry and everybody, something that I'm sure Browns fans would be very interested in as far as analytics goes. Yeah. All right. Uh, Andy Hansen of the 33rd team. We're going to the show tonight. We are touching on uh, the Browns new look defense. Uh, and uh, this offseason, Andy, they've really remade everything. I think that, you know, projected starters, which is kind of, you know, uh, a pointless, uh, you know, task at this point. But it appears that maybe only two guys uh, will be returning starters to this team after free agency in the draft. We're talking Denzel Ward and Miles Garrett, it kind of looks like at this point, would be the only two returning starters on the defense. So if you can talk about, I know you're, you know, uh, you're a player personnel analyst. You talk about a little bit of what they did in free agency to kind of remake this defense or maybe what they were thinking. They started with John Johnson III. Uh, everybody kind of thought they were going to go defensive end early. Uh, the market was expensive, more expensive, I think, than most people thought for defensive ends. Um, and they uh, went to safety, John Johnson III, and actually got him to sign for a little bit less to come to Cleveland. Thoughts on that signing? Uh, and, and then Troy Hill as they get two-fifths of the uh, best secondary in football last year. Yeah, if I'm a Browns fan, I was jumping in joy at the John Johnson signing. Uh, safety was a glaring need on the roster, and you guys went out and got the best one that you could in free agency. He's one of those safeties who can really do everything. Uh, I'd be, you know, incredibly excited to watch this guy play in a Browns uniform next year. Um, yeah. You know, after that, I, I don't think I'd be too worried about the attrition rate of how many people you lost. Like, at the end of the day, you kept Miles Garrett, and he's, you know, going to be in the running for Defensive Player of the Year for the next five years. Uh, and Denzel Ward is obviously a slam dunk if he can stay on the field also. Uh, thoughts on the Jadavian Clowney signing? So Jadavian Clowney was an interesting thing uh, from my perspective. And one thing we talk a lot about is making trades with yourself in an NFL yeah. front office. And that's what happened when, uh, you know, you decided to sign Jadavian Clowney to cut Sheldon Richardson. Um, yeah. And I think that Clowney is a guy that you've had your eyes on for Obviously, the last several years you've had him in, you thought you were going to sign him last year. Uh, and maybe the best thing for you happened with him going and flunking out at the Titans because now you're able to get him at a very affordable rate uh, compared to what he was looking for last year. Um, and I think it's an interesting setup on the defensive line because everybody thinks Jadavian Clowney and they think back to that hit he had in Michigan uh, where he almost killed that poor running back. Um <laughs> Yeah, if you haven't seen it and you just want to enjoy the hardest football hit you're going to see today, go and Google Jadavian Clowney versus Michigan. Um, yeah. But this guy has never had a 10-sack season. 
He isn't the premier pass rusher we thought we were getting. He's not Miles Garrett. He is a different player, but he is a very solid edge player. He can really set the edge, um, you know, which is going to be important in Cleveland because you play teams like the the Ravens where they're trying to spread you out and then cut up field. Uh, and I think that he is a big athletic guy who can keep a guy like Lamar Jackson in the pocket. Um, I don't think you guys have to worry about the Steelers this year. I think that's a guaranteed two wins right there. Uh, <laughs> the Bengals are basically in the same situation where they decided to draft Jamar Chase instead of Sewell. So, you know, you're yes. probably going to have five sacks a game against them. Um, Malik <laughs> Jackson's a guy I like a lot because he will be able to play that Sheldon Richardson role that you guys thought you were getting with him. Yes. Uh, you know, and just keep the interior of the offensive line good. And then you're going to rotate your – second defensive tackle, whether that's Billings or Elliott or Togi, you know, you're just going to put in what just nobody wins and loses base off of their second defensive tackle. So I wouldn't put too much worry into that if I was a Browns fan. Okay. Yeah. It's, it seems like Billings uh, would be the guy pro- probably to start there. They didn't really have a guy they could play that role. It's more of just, uh, you know, multiple three tech guys there in the past. And Billings kind of brings a different dimension to that defensive line uh, a little bit. Um, and uh, I think he'll probably start next to Malik Jackson. You know, uh, what are your thoughts on Jordan Elliott? Do you think, do you like him as a player going into his second year? Uh, some people say, kind of thought maybe his first year was a little underwhelming as he did get, you know, probably like a 20 snap roll a game. I liked him as a prospect. I, I just don't think he's going to flash. I don't think he's going to be uh, an all pro. I think he'll be a very solid player going forward. But I, you know, at the end of the day, everybody wants their piece. defensive tackle to be Chris Jones. Everybody wants their defensive tackle to be Warren Sapp. And, uh, you know, everybody looks at uh, Aaron Donald. And that's just, there's a reason that we know their names. And there's a reason that you can't name 10 defensive tackles in the NFL right now. So Elliott will be fine. Um, and I also think a lot of people look at defensive rookies of the year and look at the defensive talent you guys have gotten over the last couple of drafts. You do expect your rookies to really show out their first year. And the reality is most rookies need at least a year to develop, especially a guy who's playing defensive tackle against the strongest people in the NFL. You know, don't get too worried about Elliott. He'll be fine. Okay, very good news there. Uh, they did address defensive tackle in the fourth round in this draft as they went Tommy Togiai. Uh, we'll talk about some of the other prospects they brought in here a little bit later, but uh, talk about the Browns draft, what you liked, what you didn't. Obviously, at the top of the draft, you could get Greg Newsom and Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa, you know, uh, as they were probably looking at Koromoa, Owosu-Koromoa at uh, their first round pick. Uh, and we're able to get both of them is kind of a coup, right? Um, what did you think about the draft overall? And uh, do you think that uh, – well, I'll save that question. But thoughts on the draft uh, overall for the Browns? Yeah, so Newsom is a guy we liked. Um, we had him as our fourth corner. Uh, his big problem was staying on the field and staying healthy, which I know Browns fans aren't going to want to hear another – defensive back with injury issues, but that's the reality. Yes. You know, he plays, he's got great twitch. He's got great feet. He's got great placement. Uh, he can play the ball well in the air. He's a very fast and a agile player. 
Um, if he can stay healthy, you guys are going to love him. Uh, Owusu Koromoa is a guy who, you know, you don't draft a guy in the first round not knowing what position he's going to play on the field. And you've seen a lot of draft busts because they draft a guy who's a linebacker and expect him to play edge. They draft an edge and expect him to play linebacker. You know, uh, Akuda played a three deep defense at Ohio State and they drafted him and expected him to be a man cover corner. You know, you draft a guy in the first round that you know what he did last year and you know he can do it this year. And then after that is where you can take these tweener guys. And Owusu Koromoa is a tweener guy. If you look at how he looked at Notre Dame, guy looks like he weighed 205 pounds. You know, mm-hmm. his playing weight might have been under 215. And how many under 215-pound middle linebackers have you seen be successful in the NFL? Uh, and so that's where I was looking at him as a player of, okay, is this, is this going to be a guy like Jeremy Chin – you know, a big, fast, physical safety instead of an actual dedicated middle linebacker. So that's how I'm looking at him is he could play, you know, a multitude of different roles versatility-wise. He can cover the tight end. He can, you know, he also isn't afraid of contact. He will go and hit. He will go and chase guys down. He does have the speed to go sideline to sideline. He is a very good linebacker, true linebacker. It's just a question of is this – is he going to be able to get up to 230 pounds in the NFL? You know, he was playing at Notre Dame, and it's not like Notre Dame has a bad strength and conditioning program. They probably have one of the best in the country. They probably have a better right. strength and conditioning program than some of the NFL teams. So, you know, what what is it that kept his weight so low, and what is it that this, he decided that his weight could be that in, in the college level? Um, after that, I, I like James Hudson a lot. Yeah. Uh, and then – Richard LeCount is actually uh, a safety that I broke down with Mark Sanchez. If you go to the 33rd Team's YouTube channel, you can see us do a a profile on him. And Mark actually said that this guy reminded him of Palomalu with his uh, ability to assess where the ball is going, and then he shot out a cannon going straight at it. Uh, If you look at – go look at Richard LeCount highlights versus Alabama. This guy was tracking down and tackling Jalen Waddell in the open field. You know, this guy, he's a very good player. I'd be excited to see what he does in year one and getting him in the fifth round is something that, like, the Browns should be patting themselves on the back for. Absolutely. So a couple of questions for you about these guys. Greg Newsom will be going head-to-head in camp with Greedy Williams coming off a year that he didn't play one snap because of nerve damage. Do you expect Newsom to win that job opposite Ward on the outside? Uh, you know, if I'm running an NFL team, I don't want my rookie corner to beat out my other top draft pick corner who's coming off an injury. Okay. You know, okay. I want the guy with more experience to to get out there and play. And I like Greedy a lot as a player. Um, I like Greedy a lot as a player. Nope. Okay. So, uh, I think Newsom has the ability. I think it's how are we going to use this guy to get him used to the NFL game? Because I don't want a guy who played a you know limited amount of snaps at Northwestern to all of a sudden be going and covering another team's wide receiver too. You know, let him slow okay. roll himself onto the field like Greedy, who's been in this program for now going into his third year play. Um, but yeah, he has the talent too, so I, I wouldn't put it past him to be able to talent wise. I, I just, from a team building standpoint, wouldn't be excited if he did. 
from that team building standpoint, does, how much do, the, do you factor in that, like, Greedy was drafted by a prior regime where Newsom was taken by this regime? Um, you know, there's some nah, credibility to the reality that players will get drafted into one scheme and then the scheme will turn over and that player's ability will be gone. But a guy who's drafted as high as Greedy, uh, he is versatile across several schemes. Okay. You know, and the kid's a very talented player. I, I think that you'd be more worried with the the mid-level free agents that were brought in and the, the late-round draft picks that were you know, maybe based off of different analytics. But also, Di Podesta was there. Yeah. So it's not like they went completely different. Absolutely. So back to uh, JOK real quick, or whatever they're going to call him, Wu or Joker. He's got a bunch of nicknames here in Cleveland already. So nobody wants to say a Wosu Koromoa a thousand times a day. Um, but yeah, so uh, as far as his role... He's, you know, he came out and said that he wants to play linebacker. They had the rookie camp, and it looked like he was lining up at linebacker. I get the feeling they kind of want to play him, like, at the will linebacker position uh, a little bit. And, you know, because they brought in Anthony Walker to play middle linebacker. They have a guy, Jacob Phillips, from LSU, who's really speedy. He came on at the end of last year. Uh, I think they, they're really high on him. I don't think they expect to have a lot of linebackers on the field as – you know, Joe Woods has talked about last season wanting to deploy this three-safety dime look uh, the majority of the time, and he was kind of unable to do it. I think he said he did it like 17 snaps last season after Delpit blew out his knee in, or, or got injured in uh, training camp, right? So that kind of took away his ability to do that because uh, then they were forced into giving a lot of, of – uh, playing time to guys that they didn't expect to at the safety position. Um, so they bring in Ronnie Harrison midway through the year, and he grades out really well. Uh, they like him a lot. Delpit coming back from injury. And then, of course, John Johnson III, who's an absolute stud. So they have three really good safeties. I mean, do you see Owosu Koromoa, could he play that linebacker role? Uh, or do you see him more playing like that? that rover or whatever role that uh big nickel role uh of that third safety more i mean i think uh it's wherever he is effective and i wouldn't bet my mortgage that he'll be an effective middle linebacker uh that will linebacker spot probably is where he would want to be so that he can track down plays uh from the back end and to, to get to your point that they want to run three safety, um, I also wouldn't bet my mortgage that a kid who's coming off of a blown Achilles is going to be able to start his second year in the NFL. Uh, and, you know, Delpit is a very talented player. Delpit is not a guy who tackles well. In fact, Delpit has got probably a guy who is going to drive you absolutely insane with how many tackles he misses. Um, okay. But he is a very talented cover safety um and a very sticky guy you're going to be super excited at the blow-up plays that he makes when it does come to making plays on the ball uh LeCount is another guy that i think that they're going to be excited to see what he can do at safety um but i think that jok kind of gives them the versatility that if one of these guys if delpit doesn't come back quickly 
if LeCount is struggling, you know, he, I think he ran a four eight, but he was much faster on tape. So I think that he really helped the Browns out because they were able to afford him with a fifth round pick. Whereas if he ran a four five, this guy's probably going in the second or third round. Yes. Um, you know, with the same tape, which kind of drives me nuts as an evaluator. Um, yeah. But JOK, I would just be afraid to have three safeties and then Usukora Moa at linebacker and not think that you're about to get the ball run down your throat. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that is certainly a, a thought there. Uh, I guess uh, that'll have to play itself out sort of, you know, by trial and error to see how they do that. Of the three safeties, I wanted to ask you this. So if you were evaluating uh, Ronnie Harrison and then also who they're high on. I don't know how what your thoughts on Harrison are, but uh, Ronnie Harrison, Delpit, say he gets healthy when he gets healthy, and then uh, you can throw LeCount in there, and then John Johnson the third. Ideally, which safety spot would be best for those four guys? Do you think? Are they interchangeable somewhat? Yeah, I think Ronnie Harrison and John Johnson are pretty versatile. I would. Put Delpit as more of a free. I would put okay. LeCount uh, closer to the line as a box. Okay. Um, and then uh, if you're throwing a Usukoromo in there, then he's a box. Perfect. That's uh, good stuff there. And you're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Special guest Andy Hansen, NFL player, personnel analyst, and COO for the 33rd team. Uh, go check that out at the 33rd team.com as well as you guys have a youtube channel right yep we got a youtube we got a twitter follow us uh, at the 33rd team fb um we have a lot of great special guests we have a lot of uh former professionals who are always interacting with our content currently we have 10 guys who used to be nfl head coaches we have eight guys who used to be nfl gms two guys who were former nfl presidents all of our content is uh created with professionals, by professionals, for professionals in the NFL. You're not going to get any hot takes or uh, clickbait stuff from us. So if, if that's what you're looking for, we're definitely not the BuzzFeed of football. We're more the Wall Street Journal of football. Love that. Perfect. Very cool. All right. So uh, what has to happen for this defense? This defense is taking a new shape. As I mentioned, all these guys either come back from injuries. you got Billings. You've got... Uh, all these new free agents, you know, uh, coming into play. Um, and as I mentioned, Ward and and Garrett are really your your mainstays from last year that, that were on the field. What does this team have to do to come together to be an elite defense? Is it more about the pass rush for you? Do you think they have the ability to be an elite cover team? What are your thoughts on, on the personnel that they've put together here? Uh, I think that this is a team that if you're hoping they're getting an identity, you're hoping they're getting an identity like the Legion of Boom, you know, where they have a couple guys who rotate who can really get after the quarterback. You have Miles Garrett, who I think is a top five defensive player in the NFL, who, uh, you know, it's possibility that not only that he could have a double digit sack season, but he might be able to get a 20 sack season. Now you have uh, Clowney on the other edge. So you're not going to have a quarterback running to his side to get away from Garrett. You're not going to be able to give 100% of the blocking scheme to Garrett. Uh, yeah. It gives you a lot of versatility rush from the edge from both sides, but they're going to be like a three deep 
cover similar to the Legion of Boom with a lot of firing blitzes with a lot of uh, different looks and a lot of easy interceptions and a lot of teeing off on wide receivers who are, uh, you know, not expecting its own player to be in their grill the second they catch the the football. So be ready for, you know, maybe some targeting calls, but uh, <laughs> exciting defense to watch with a, you know, yeah. very talented players in the back end. Yeah, we love to hear that. So let's talk about potential weaknesses real quick, okay? So for me last year, it was absolutely brutal. Kevin Johnson was their their nickel corner, right? And because of injuries and COVID and a number of things, he was forced to play outside where he's not very good. He wasn't very good inside either, to be honest. Uh, But then when he got hurt or got taken out, they filled in that nickel or slot corner with – a guy named Tavier Thomas, who before last year didn't play any downs on defense, was just a special teams guy uh, at cornerback. And uh, MJ Stewart, who is, is a short and kind of slow, uh, he made some big plays in the Steelers games down the stretch, including the playoff game, but not guys that I would like to go back to if that situation were to present itself this year. They upgraded at that position, which I thought was key, getting Troy Hill probably the best nickel available. And then, you know, they have him, and he's interchangeable that if depth issues occurred, he could go outside because he's played, you know, the younger part of his career as an outside corner and did okay. So he could go out there. I wonder if somebody gets hurt or dinged and he has to go outside, who they're going to replace him with inside as a nickel slot corner. They really don't have anybody on the roster. It's MJ Stewart. It's guys like that. Uh, do you think that they have uh, – there's guys still in the market like Brian Poole, Nikel Roby-Coleman, Darquez Denard. Do you like any of those guys p- to potentially get signed uh, to the Browns, or do you think they're done in free agency probably? I'd say they're probably done. Uh, you know, okay. if if you said I, I had to take this defensive backfield and win games, I'd be pretty excited. You okay. know, obviously okay. you want to build depth for – uh, your team going into training camp and the season. Uh, and that kind of happens with snake bitten teams that, that lost a lot of guys last year that you want to have that depth ready. But I think the reality is like you're much deeper in the defensive backfield and the defensive front. But if you took an injury to any of your linebackers, then you're playing with guys who, you know, might've been working at seven 11 the day before, you know, <laughs> you, your, your linebackers are really where you want to be able to get that, last depth guy like can we afford Quan alexander do we take a shot on reuben foster like hmm. can we get one of those linebackers who we can really trust to stuff the run uh you know because the versatility and the the three safety look is something that's sexy and you know might cause a lot of interceptions but the the chargers did it um two years ago or three years ago uh yeah three years ago and they were, you know, making a ton of defensive plays They were flying all over the field. They beat Lamar Jackson in a playoff game. And then they go to new England and new England runs for six touchdowns. Yeah. You know, it's definitely not something you want to be your staple. You want to be able to go back to jumbo. You want to be able to go back to stop the run. So I think a guy like Ruben Foster would really be able to, to come in and make a difference on this team and, and give you some more flexibility where I think, your stable of defensive backs right now is pretty sexy and something I'd be excited to play with, you know, getting another guy will make you feel better insurance wise, but 
you know, halfway through the season, you might be like, why the hell did we spend money on Brian Poole? We can't stop the run. It's a great point. It's a great point. Uh, they have guys like, you know, you're right. They have to show versatility. I think they'll keep guys like Taki Taki, who has been good against the run uh, to, for that kind of situation. But, of course, you know, what are your thoughts on Anthony Walker as a player, their free agency ad at, at linebacker, as a middle linebacker? Do you like him or no? Um, yeah, he's he's a fine player. I wouldn't get super stoked and, you know, run out and get his uh, his jersey. <laughs> you know, but uh, yeah, he's coming from a team that also needs linebackers. So it kind of says something to me when, you know, you don't get retained by a team that's already thin your own position. Yes, absolutely. Um, I agree. Although they did, you know, uh, Darius Leonard and those guys did throw a fit when he did sign with the Browns. I've never seen a uh, more passionate goodbye video in my life, I don't think, than Leonard sent for him. But So a guy that loves to get in the room and study the tape, and that's a good thing. All right, let's look at the defensive tackle room real quick because I think they want to add a fourth guy. They draft Tommy Togiai. You can give me your thoughts on him. Uh, but then, you know, Marvin Wilson, a priority free agent, they go out and sign right away, offer him some money to come into camp, as well as Malik McDowell, a name from the past, uh, hasn't played a NFL snap, drafted in the second round, probably a first-round type physical trait prospect, uh, you know, obviously dominated at Michigan State. He's a, an absolute beast. I, I talked to a couple people that were at rookie camp and just could not get over how big this guy is. He's like six 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 seven, just a monster on the field. And and uh, and then they bring in Damian Square, a veteran who has played a lot of downs out in uh, uh, the Chargers, which is a you know they've been running a very similar scheme as. Uh, the Browns will probably continue to run some of that uh, cover three press bail Seattle type defense, right? Uh, so uh, as we look at that, uh, those guys coming in to fill maybe that fourth defensive tackle role, do you think Togiai easily fills that role? Uh, or do any of these guys worth uh, a lot of ticket look at or think either any of them could make the team? McDowell, Wilson, Square, thoughts on these guys? Uh yeah, I'd be Togi. I would be my favorite of that group. Okay. Uh, you know, Marvin Wilson is a guy <clears throat> who uh, has perked up a lot of ears in Cleveland because if you were looking at 2021 prospects this time last year, Marvin Wilson was on a lot of draft boards going in the first round. Uh, but I don't know if Marvin decided to, you know, take the year off because he assumed he was getting drafted in the first round, but he didn't look great at, at Florida State last year. He uh, wasn't in the greatest shape. He came to the Senior Bowl, and I saw him down there, and, you know, he, he didn't look like he was ready to compete down there. Uh, I don't know if he just needs, like, a shot in the arm and uh, a wake-up call like he did to go undrafted, um, but at the end of the day, he went undrafted for a reason. All 32 teams all said no to Marvin repeatedly um so he's a kid that might take an entire year just to get back into football shape uh yeah. mcdowell is an interesting guy um another one where it's like hey where's your head at or is, is is professional football what you want to do or you know you obviously didn't get your shot at, at seattle because of different reasons 
Um, but now you're here in Cleveland. Do you want to play football? Do you want to play football at a high level? Um, but a lot of those guys for me are scratch tickets, you know, yeah. they, you don't know which guy you're getting in the building. You don't know your, which guy you're getting in the weight room and you don't know which guy you're getting in the meeting room. So it's difficult to, you know, I don't want to get anybody listening excited. Um, Togi is a great player and those other guys, you know, if you want to get excited and, and think about what could be like, yeah, one of them might end up being a knockout, but the reality is they washed out first. So it's going to be a comeback story if any of those guys really shine for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and that's what it feels like is just they, they brought in some lotto tickets to maybe see if they could bolster that room a little bit. Uh, you know, I know McDowell. I had a guy on that, that worked McDowell, with McDowell last year at, at the – Oh man, it's gonna escape me now. But it was a, sh- a college showcase, the CSG or the CGS. Yeah, the uh, show- CGI Gridiron Showcase. Yes, exactly. Yeah. So Mike Riddleman was on my show, and he he had worked with McDowell there, and he said that he was humble and seemed like he was trying to change his life around. And and this is the first guy that Andrew Barry has signed who is kind of character questionable. You know what I mean? Uh, so it's interesting that he, he went out and he made a statement that was pretty supportive of McDowell. You wonder if he could pull it all together, if he would be a, a nice, uh, game. Cause certainly he's a talented dude. Yeah. I imagine if he doesn't pull it together, he's going to be cut immediately. Yes. So he yes. might be one of those guys that you wake up on Wednesday morning on a random off day and you get a push notification that he's been cut and, Yes. Yeah, that'll be his last opportunity in the NFL if, if that happens for him. You're listening to All Eyes on Cleveland. Andy Hansen from the 33rd team, uh, NFL player personnel analyst and COO. Real quickly, let's hit on the NFLPA and J.C. Treader, uh, if you don't mind, just for a moment here. Uh, do you have time for that, Andy? Yeah. All right. Uh, so we're going to take a quick look at this here. So this is the article – you know, the the whole NFLPA message to stay away, I did a whole video on it and, and how, for me, it was contradictory to the players after Jawan James situation. These guys, you know, should be with professionals. They should protect their money. They're insured when they're in the building. Why would the NFLPA tell them to stay, them away, stay away from the building when that's probably not what's in their best interest? If they make that individual decision, that's between between them and their agent and their family, but that's up to them. That shouldn't be an NFLPA message to that. And, and how is that hurting ownership? However, coaches and teams have kind of come to like, hey, we want these guys here. Let's meet them halfway. And about 14 or 15 teams have come to agreements where like, hey, we're going to morph our offseason program to walk through in this, no 11 on 11s until this amount if you guys are here right and guys are showing up you know some teams have 70 guys in the building right now right so it's worked out for some teams if we go to this article and this is from cleveland.com here uh treader wrote that uh, less than half the nfl players attended the four-week phase one players uh, on more than half the teams in the league have negotiated new rules for the remaining voluntary workout periods the Browns are one of these teams, right? And he goes on to talk about that, where or they talk about it in the article, where the teams are permitted on-field instruction uh, in the one-week phase two this week, but the Browns opted to remain virtual. 
So they're meeting them kind of halfway for the veterans and will take to the field next week in phase three, which consists of 10 practices over three weeks, followed by the mandatory minicamp. Now, Treader goes on, you know, and that, that's their negotiation with the Browns to say that he and his teammates will hold, hold firm and skip the voluntary practices because the leadership council believes most guys feels good about where they're training and what they're doing. So why negotiate this if you're just going to stand firm and not go anyways? Uh, I I don't know <laughs> what the hell the, the NFLPA is trying to do. After Juwan James uh, tearing his ACL, doing the right thing, you know, working out, staying in shape so that he can come back and, and compete. It's just a very cautionary tale of – is it worth millions of dollars to you to work out at a different facility? And I know a lot of the people who are listening right now have spent the last year and a half inside their house with their significant other, with their families, with their pets. And if they were offered the opportunity to go get breakfast, work out, go to your team room, meet with the other people on your team, get lunch with your buddies, talk to your coach, and then come back in the afternoon, they would probably run through a wall to be able to have that opportunity. Uh, and I think it's just a, a difference of, you know, lifestyles and expectations. And, you know, you have guys who are making $10 million on your team. And like the reality is, you know, if you're a rookie and you're trying to get playing time, you want every second you can get with your coach. You want to yeah. have that, you know, ability. Whereas if you tear your Achilles, training in a different state your team doesn't know if you are training or if you are doing something stupid or if you were you know water skiing playing um, basketball or something yeah yeah like it's it's just a reality of is it worth your nfl playing future to do it outside the facility and there's some players you know who have come out and said yeah absolutely but a lot of those guys are already financially stable or already most of the way through their second contract you know, who trust their bodies, but there's not a single guy who's ever torn his ACL or blown his Achilles during practice who hasn't thought he was going to be fine that day. Those are freak injuries that happen all the time, you know, and if I was an NFL player, I would just be saying, Hey guys, just go, go into the facility. Don't be dumb. Like exactly. But I think yeah. the NFLPA is trying to push to be able to get guaranteed money into contracts and this is a big spot where they found there's a lot of money that's lost to players who don't do off-season training programs, who don't do off-season, uh, you know, strength programs with their team, who lose money to not having it um, available to them in their home state. But I, I think if I'm a personal player, an individual who I don't care what the union's doing, I want to make sure my playing career and my future with my team is as stable as it can be yeah no question i mean like i've said this before on this show is we talk about the it, like we're pro player on the show i'm an advocate of the players like i want them to get their money it's a different sport it's not like the nba it's not like the mlb there isn't all the guaranteed money but like this nflpa message doesn't seem to be in the best interest of the players a uh all the players it may be in the best interest of maybe like the JC Treaders of the world who have a secure job, but they've been also accused. And you can tell me if you think there's any truth to this. And, and a lot of people are kind of like, no, no, 
that's not the way it is. But a lot of these guys that are veterans that are at the head of the NFLPA, like you said, have secure jobs, have been telling people to stay away to potentially preserve their jobs, or they've been accused of that to help preserve their jobs, to keep younger players away uh, from potentially going in there, working with the coaches and taking their job. Do you think there's some, some validity to that? I, I wouldn't trust any of the messaging coming from either side on this topic at this point. You know, okay. because you just don't know. The NFLPA is not being honest on why they don't want people in the building. And yeah. the team is just like, hey, guys, what team building activity is ever not good for the team? Right. You know, this is no question. It's only frustrating for the coaches, you know, and it's only costing these guys opportunities to, uh, you know, build those relationships with their coaches, get a better understanding, you know, have that conversation that's next to the water cooler instead of in the building, you know, and in the team room. And at the end of the day, like if, if I, if I'm a rookie and my contract has paid me $2 million so far, and I have the hundred million dollar quarterback who wants to be able to, you know, drink margaritas and then go throw with Gronk on a beach somewhere. Like, I'm really happy that you won the lottery at life, buddy, but I still need to make money. You know, like no question. No question. It's and, you know, as you said, it affects the coaches and the players. But the pushback is is is, supposed to be towards the owners. But this doesn't affect the owners at all. Like guys not showing up to voluntary workouts doesn't affect the owners in any way. If anything, it probably saves them money on food and other everything else. I mean, how is that a pushback to to what the owners? I don't see how that affects them. It seems like the wrong battle to fight for me as far as the NFLPA. If you're picking your battles to fight and push back, this just seems like the wrong one, Andy. I think the long term goal of the NFLPA is to set up non team specific satellite workout facilities in every state and most major cities which would cost the owners owners a ton, you know, to be able to have one, you have to worry about, all right, well now we're going to have Broncos players training with dolphins players training with Browns players, you know, are they going to be BSing and telling each other the playbooks? Are they going to be trying to recruit each other to go to their teams? Is it going to turn into the NBA kind of thing? Uh, And then two, you have to staff them. You have to pay the bills to have the lights on, you know, and it's something that they have the money for, you know, so do they take that out of the the next, like they just started this 10 year cycle for the new uh, NBA uh, NFL PA agreement. So NFL NBA, uh, NFL NL, you know what I'm saying? Um, yeah. You know, this new agreement for the next 10 years, they're not going to be able to uh, negotiate it until 2030. So, you know, maybe this is their first steps of like trying to set up an actual satellite program where you can work out in the off season. And if you blow your ACL, you don't lose all your money for NFI reasons, but the ownership doesn't want to set that up. And no. the players a hundred percent would want to set that up. So I think that yeah. this is the first step from the NFLPA to uh, really maybe get the ball rolling in that direction. But at the end of the day, it's going to cost Juwan James and you know, countless other guys who get injuries that are now NFI related that are going to lose guaranteed money in their contracts because of it. 
That's an incredibly interesting point uh, that I have not heard yet, Andy. So thank you. That That is uh, very, very interesting to think about. And it certainly makes a hell of a lot of sense. You've been an outstanding guest. It'll be really interesting to see who does show up for this phase three that they've worked out. You know, who stands by Treader, who doesn't. Like, will Baker show up? You know what I mean? I've reached out to a couple players that have been on the show. Uh, I haven't really got a response yet. Like, are you going to phase three? You know what I mean? That they're going to be on the grass, and, and I haven't re- received any responses yet. But it's uh, it's interesting, and it'll be interesting to see who shows up. Because the rookies are there, right? The rookies are all there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the rookie minicamp was like 15 dudes. I mean, it was like one-on-ones with the coaches out there. I mean, they couldn't do 11-on-11, nothing, 7-on-7. So uh, it'll be really interesting to see what happens as, you know, the Browns have agreed to keep everything virtual. You know, they were very good with that last year. They were installed virtually and everything. So I get where they're going with this. It's just, to me, it's hurting the Browns, I think, that the president is on their roster. And to what, you know, to what point? Because other teams got 70 guys in the building right now. So, well, and if you look uh, historically, the president of the NFLPA is very quickly off of a roster and very quickly out of the league, you know, once they decide to take that leadership position. Um, wow. It's just, it's the way it works. Nobody wants that headache. It's, it, it's been a headache. It's starting to be even more of one. Andy, you've been spectacular. What a guest. Uh, please go to the 33rd team at the 33rd team on Twitter. Uh, go to the 33rd team.com. Very, very interesting angle and approach to things. Uh, Andy, uh, anything else you want to plug before we get you out of here? Yeah, feel free to follow us at the the 33rdteam.com. You can sign up for our newsletter. We're sending out uh, newsletters three times a week during this dead period for the next two months. So you might not be able to get your football fix from, you know, other news outlets, but we will be sending out newsletters with, deep analytics and interviews with uh, our professionals. So if you uh, have that fix for football, come to 33rdteam.com and sign up for our newsletter. Andy, you're the best man. Thank you for coming on the show. Of course. Have a good one. Yes, sir. back andy hansen of the 33rd uh team absolutely killed it in that interview and some of the most interesting stuff that we got into was regarding the nflpa and i have a couple articles coming out on this stuff because he really brought to light something that i haven't heard anybody else say is you know nfl sanctioned satellite facilities in different cities around the country in the offseason to protect the players from exactly what happened to Jawan James. Now Deshaun Hamilton, a second Bronco, also a Bronco, is, has fallen to the same fate where he had a trade arranged, a trade was arranged for him, working out away from the facility, got injured. That trade is not going to go through. He's not going to pass the physical, and he's going to be out. He's going to get cut. Uh, non-football injury, NFI. Uh, and uh, designated with that NFI, these guys are losing money. And uh, the NFLPA is still saying stay away. Uh, they've won 
So, so just to, uh, to make a point on J.C. Treader and why this is becoming a headache and why I am concerned about the Browns and Treader situation. Phase two opened on Monday of this week. Uh, if I just go down the news uh, stuff, Broncos, 75 players in attendance. Uh, Giants opened phase two of offseason program with great uh, attendance. Uh, Chicago Bears see strong attendance and voluntary workouts phase two. Bills show their team first facing NFL's phase two. Uh, Chiefs, players report to phase two. Um, so, you know, as you go down all of these teams that have worked out some sort of an arrangement with their coach, Arizona Cardinals was another one. Uh, Cliff Kingsbury uh, agreed to no 11-on-11s and to take it easy in the in the practices and whatnot, in, in the OTA practices, and the players showed up, 70-plus players showed up. Same thing with Miami. Uh, the Dolphins, Flores is being lauded in the NFLPA because – so they've won. They won what they wanted to win. And it's interesting that they're – first time I've heard that from Annie, their long-term goal could be these satellite NFL sanctioned sites, which is really interesting. But what comes down to the Browns is that the Browns have been beyond cooperative. Phase one, okay, virtual. We'll do all virtual. Phase two is practice allowed at at the facility at a teaching pace is, is the – quote, unquote, you know, so they can get out on the field at a teaching pace, walkthroughs, going through stuff, installing offense, going over defense. How much does this defense need to get on the field together? So many pieces, parts coming together for the Browns to get better. They need to be on the field together. They agree to phase two, even though they could be on the field, all virtual. Veterans, it's okay. We're still going to do it virtually, right? And despite all of that, Despite meeting them halfway, Treader, to Albert Breer yesterday, I don't plan on showing up, and my teammates don't plan on showing up. Despite anything that, you know, that they've agreed on, uh, doesn't plan on showing up for Phase 3 at all. It consists of 10 practices over the next three weeks, uh, and, and he and team, according to him, him and his teammates will not be there because uh, they are most, quote, unquote, most guys feel good about where they're training at and what they're doing. So at what point this becomes even more of a headache for the Browns now, that the president is on the roster, the team has met them more than halfway with virtual phase one and phase two, now it's, they're, they're saying we're going to do practices, phase three, we're going to do the 10 OTA practices, and Shredder's still saying, despite other teams showing up 70-plus, around the league, we're going to stay away. Me and my teammates, we're going to stay away. The veterans are going to stay away. Let's see. I don't know who's going to show up for phase three, but it's become problematic for me. J.C. Treader being the NFLPA president on this roster has now become a problem because this defense can't get on the field and start to get used to each other, the coaches, the scheme, the offense who needs, you know, Stefanski talked about evolving the offense. This is time other teams are having to walk through and learn and steps of the process that they are going to be ahead on of the Browns. Now, we saw last year that very much capable, Stefanski is very much capable of doing things virtually and keeping pace with these guys. But it's just, it's the point of the fact that they could be all there. There could be 70-plus guys in Berea 
and they could be going through walkthroughs. And, and it, I would feel much better if they were doing that, just like all those other 15 teams that negotiated whatever they had to do to get in the facility. But they're not going to do it because the president of the NFLPA is on their team, and he's saying, we're not coming. And that's a, that's a problem. It's more than just a headache. It's a problem. It's now problematic in my eyes. So uh, this has been All Eyes on Cleveland, a look at the brand-new Browns defense with Andy Hansen of the 33rd team. He absolutely killed it. Go check out the 33rd team at the 33rd team FB on Twitter. Uh, my name is Brad Ward. This has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland. We'll be back tomorrow night for the Ravens offseason uh, deep dive and outlook with Kyle Andrews, Ravens insider, uh, and we'll knock that out for you tomorrow as we begin our Around the AFC North portion of the offseason. Hope you enjoyed tonight's show. Mikey on the ones and twos was fabulous. And once again, Andy Hansen, big thanks. He killed it as usual, uh, you know, uh, knocked out of the park with his interview. Troy Hill, I'm going to chime in here. They're all eyes on Cleveland. We here, yeah. Troy Hill throwing up the all eyes on Cleveland. Good to see him on Instagram working out and everything, wearing the uh, the Cleveland gear. Uh, uh, we are big advocates of Troy Hill on the show and always will be. Uh, so uh, with that, uh, for Mikey on the ones and twos, this has been another edition of All Eyes on Cleveland presented by Blue Wire Hustle. My name is Brad Ward. We are out. Mm-hmm.